Uh, well, at some risk of uh, disappointing you, I want to share a little embarrassing fact about myself. <clears throat> and that is, I'm a big fan of the dancing hamsters on that car commercial on TV. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I can be in another room and the boys will yell at me, Hey, Dad, the dancing hamsters are on. I'm rushing in there. Oh, yeah. My favorite one is when they're uh, all dressed up and that they have that little ditty, you know, you can get with this or you can get with that. You can get with this or you can get with that. Right? You know the one I'm talking about. And, and they do this this comparison between this really cool car and, and these ridiculous things like a giant toaster and, and a cardboard box, you know. And so they're doing that on purpose so that you see... Uh, the, the highlight of what is the obvious better choice in hopes that by the end of the commercial you tell yourself, I think I really need one of those cars, <laughs> right? Well, well, very often, Scripture will employ a similar strategy of comparing things that lead us to the recognition of an obvious better choice. It'll talk about things like dark versus light, death Versus life. Flesh versus spirit. And as we've seen in our passage in Colossians, Paul compares the old self to the new self. And when he does, he highlights those selfish desires of the flesh and he contrasts those to the self-sacrificing attributes of Christ. And in doing so, he wants us to see more clearly the obvious better choice. The question that it should then beg of us as we listen to this comparison is, what does your heart most desire? What does your heart most desire? My hope and my prayer is that as we look at God's Word together and we examine these things that Paul has laid out, and in particular, as we hear what it means to, to walk in fellowship with Christ, that every part of your being says to yourself, I need that. That's what my heart most desires. Well, Paul, this morning in our passage, will help us understand what it looks like when that desire becomes reality. He will explain how we can live in the, the fullness of Christ when Christ's peace rules in our heart, when His Word dwells in our heart, so that His name is exalted in our life. Because Paul wants us to know, and I want you to know, that your life in Christ is infinitely better than anything this world has to offer. And I hope you see that clearly this morning. Before we look at His Word, let's pray together. God, as we come to You and examine the truth of Your Scripture, I pray that we have eyes to see the infinitely better choice of a life that is filled in Christ. The peace that rules in our heart the wisdom that comes from the Word as it dwells within our heart and a life that exalts Your name and gives evidence and testimony to the power, the life-transforming power of Your Gospel. May that be evident as we walk through Your Word this morning. We pray this in Your name. Amen. If you would, turn to Colossians chapter 3. 
verse 15. We'll pick up where we left off last. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. If you would, begin reading with me as Paul continues in verse 15. He says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. As I look at these three verses, what first strikes me is how similar the language is in verses 15 and 16. As as Paul says, let the, the peace of Christ rule in your heart. And then in verse 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell in your hearts it's as if paul is looking he's saying look this is your decision and god's not forcing you to do anything but he is inviting you to experience the promise of his peace to be led by the wisdom of his word he's given us this comparison as we've seen clearly in chapter three between the old self and and the new self and he does so to emphasize the the obvious better choice (laughs) of your life in Christ. And then he goes on in our passage to more clearly understand the difference between those two options. Because it ultimately boils down to who's in control. You notice what he says. He says, let Christ's rule bring peace. Let the authority of His Word bring wisdom. The path you choose is ultimately a decision of submission. And the fruit of your life reveals just who is in control. He begins by saying, let the peace of Christ rule. Rule can be translated arbitrator, or or some might actually even use the word umpire. It's the same idea in each of those words. It's all describing a, a person who decides what is right within a decision or a contest. So, for example, Mark umpires baseball in the spring. And so, when Mark's behind the plate, it's his job to determine what is a ball and what is a strike. And he's operating on the understanding of what the strike zone is. But you and I, when we watch that game, the strike zone's invisible. Nobody can see it. It's Mark's job to determine what's in the zone and is considered a strike and what's out of the zone and would be considered a ball, and he has to do it so it's fair for both teams. He's the umpire deciding what's fair, what's a strike, and what's a ball. Well, in the same way, Paul says, let the peace of Christ be the umpire in your relationships with one another. So that when you face decisions, always operate within the boundaries of, of Christ's example. So that the decisions you make bring peace. We talked last week about one of those examples that are given to us when when Paul says in, in verse 13, let us forgive one another as the Lord has forgiven you. So also should you. And we talked about what those boundaries 
look like. How we shouldn't wait for somebody else to make the first move, but we should be the one who takes the, the initiative in terms of forgiveness. Whether we are the offended party or the one who has done the offense. Either way, we are to take the initiative. And we said that is because the example of Christ. That even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He did not wait on us to make the first move. He took the initiative. And in the same way, so should we. One of the other things that we talked about in those boundaries is that we need to make sure that there are no conditions attached to our forgiveness. We looked at the example of Christ when the Scripture says, by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, that is a gift from God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. So you can't earn God's forgiveness. He gives it freely. And in the same way, we shouldn't expect people to earn ours. It should be a gift. The other thing we talked about is how the forgiveness of Christ is unlimited. We looked at that passage in Colossians that says that the certificate of debt was canceled. There were no strings attached. It was removed. It says that all your transgressions have been forgiven, past, present, and future. And so when we forgive others, the same should be true of us. You see, peace only comes when we operate within the boundaries of Christ's example. When our actions reflect His heart. Disunity is the result of doing things our own way. You see the difference? Also notice that Paul says that the peace of Christ must first rule in your heart before it can impact your relationships with one another. This is important because you cannot give something to someone else that you first don't possess on your own. I must personally experience the peace of Christ before I can give it away. I've got to be filled up before I can give out. You remember that little statement I gave you last week about when the bucket you carry is full, your feet will always get wet? It's that same idea. When, when you're filled up with Christ, that's what spills over into your relationships with other people. But that only comes when your life is surrendered to Him, where His peace rules in your heart. And the evidence that that that's true in your life is when you exhibit the fruits of the Spirit. And and Paul's given us those examples as a part of that list in chapter 3. Remember, he talked about things like compassion and kindness, humility and gentleness. Those are relationship words. They describe how we interact with one another when the peace of God fills our heart. On the other hand, when sin is allowed to reign, we see something else come out of our life. We see the other side of that list that talks about things like anger and malice and hurtful words, impurity, immorality. When that's what you see in your life, it should tell you something's not right with your heart. Because your life will always reflect what fills your heart. One path brings peace. The other leads to destruction. The difference is who's in control. And the question we should ask ourselves is, have I surrendered? Or am I still in control? 
it's important to understand this concept because peace is an incredibly valuable economy or uh, attribute in God's economy. And the reason is because of the price that was paid to accomplish it. If you look at this at verse 15 again, it says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. The fact is sin creates division. We cannot have peace with one another if we have not experienced peace in our relationship with God. Romans 8, 7 says, The mind set on the flesh is hostile to God. Scripture is very clear that when sin reigns, we are enemies, children of wrath. But it's the sacrifice of Christ that removed the hostility of sin and gives us peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul wants us to understand that it is the blood of the cross that brought the people of God together. As we looked at that passage in Ephesians before, destroying the dividing wall that once separated us so that the two shall become one new man. That's why Scripture tells us to, to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We do that as we walk in fellowship with Christ in order for the peace that fills our heart to overflow from our life into our relationships with other people. Unity matters a great deal to God because of the price that was paid to accomplish it. And our thankful heart is what preserves that loving bond. Unity matters. And it is the rule of Christ that brings peace among His people, both in our relationship to Him and with one another. But he also goes on to say in the next verse that it's the the authority of Christ's Word that brings wisdom. Look at verse 16. Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The wisdom of God is what is necessary for us to experience the peace of God in our life. And we know that to be true because we're all aware of the fact that life is complicated, isn't it? And relationships are messy, aren't they? We need God's wisdom to help us navigate our way. And the truth of God's Word is like the map that reveals the path that we should take. And Paul says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Now, I'll confess to you that I have our Thanksgiving meal on my brain. Okay? <laughs> I'm already thinking about it and have for the last few days. And, and, and so one of my opinions when it comes to food is that everything is better with butter. It's just my opinion. Right? The more butter, the better, in fact. Well, in fact, if you kind of think about it, it's like taking those homemade hot rolls fresh out of the oven. And you take that slab of butter. Don't put it on top because it just slide off the side. Open that roll up. Stick it right there in the middle. Close the lid and just let it sit there. So all that buttery goodness just melts. Are you hungry? You know what I'm saying? Well, Paul has that same idea in mind when he talks about letting the Word of Christ enter into your heart and then just let it sit there. Let it soak in. Let it penetrate deeply inside your heart. 
Because the mouth will speak out of that which fills the heart. Your speech will become laced with God's truth when you dwell on God's word. And I want you to notice as you look at verse 16 that that wise teaching and admonishment is not necessarily from people. It comes from the word of Christ. We know that because we have nothing to offer outside of what we receive from him. Earlier in Colossians, he's already told us that the whole treasury, every single ounce of wisdom and knowledge is hidden in Christ alone. So if you have anything to offer that is of worth from Christ, it is only that which has been given to you through faith. We give as an overflow of what we have received. And when he talks about those psalms and hymns and and spiritual songs, one of the things that we have to understand are, are those are the ways in which the early Christians took the words of truth and hid them in their heart. Because unlike us, they didn't walk around with one of these. They didn't have one of these in their home. There were only a few scrolls in which the Scripture was recorded, and those were taught from the scrolls. But if people wanted to know God's Word, they had to commit it to their memory and hide it in their heart. And and we all know that that's hard to do sometimes, isn't it? So one of the things that they would do is they would take the words of Scripture and they would create a hymn or a song or a song to allow them to remember those truths so that they could hide it in their heart. So when it talks about the psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, it's talking about the way in which they understood and, and, and took the Word of God and remembered it, hiding it in their heart. God's word was so important to them, they went to great lengths to take it with them wherever they went, even though they couldn't hold one of these in their hands. They let his truth guide their lives and guard their relationships. And once again, Paul says for the second time in two verses, be thankful to God. And I believe he tells us that because as we realize that what we give to others is only because of the gift that we have first received from God. The wisdom of God's Word is a gift to us, given so that we can then give it away. But we can only share that which we have first received through faith in Jesus Christ. Let His Word penetrate your heart so that your life is transformed by His truth. And then you have a story to tell in all humility and gratefulness of heart, right? Let your life be a testimony of God's love, is his point. And he makes that clear in verse 17. He says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. He's speaking of a wholeness here, so that what you say and what you do match each other. It's a word of integrity. It's a combination so that it's an undivided life. A few weeks ago, I gave my testimony to the student ministry, and one of the things that I shared about my life before I came to Christ is that I lived a divided life. I was one person with one group of friends and another person with another group of friends, and it just literally almost ripped me apart because I couldn't decide who I was. I lived a divided life. And the ultimate reason that I, my life was divided because my heart was not surrendered to Christ. 
and we know very clearly from Scripture what Jesus thinks about those who try to pretend to be somebody that they're not because their heart is not surrendered to him. In fact, let's look at one of those examples. Turn to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23. And look with me at uh, verse 27. Matthew chapter 23, verse 27. Jesus speaking here says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but on the inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. These are people who might say the right things, might do the right things on occasion, but it's all for selfish gain. They're seeking the approval of men so that they could be exalted in what they've done and feel better about who they are. Paul says, when your life is hidden in Christ, it's altogether different. He said, let your words and your deeds give glory to God because of what he did for you that you could not have possibly accomplished on your own. In other words, may your life exalt Christ for the good deeds that he has done, for the good works that he's prepared beforehand so that you can walk in them. While you're there, turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 20, if you would look at that with me. This is why this is important. Look at 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20. It says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were entreating through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God. See, God is entreating through us when Christ is seen in us. His, when His peace rules in our heart, when His Word dwells within us, our life exalts His name. We are ambassadors, His representatives, offering grace through the, to the world through the peace of Christ that reigns in our heart when our life reflects the attributes of Christ. And then for the third time, in three verses, he says what? Give thanks through Christ to God the Father. Once again, reminding us that this was all God's idea. And everything he's described has been made possible because of his provision. Give thanks for God's gift of grace. Live in the fullness of Christ where His peace rules in your heart, where His Word dwells in your heart, where your life exalts His name. It all boils down to who's in control. And it asks the question, have you surrendered? Now there's a lot of ways that you can answer that question for your life, but as we look at our passage in Colossians this morning, I think one of the ways that we can answer that question is by 
looking at our life through the lens of our relationships. Very often, how we relate to others tells us something about where our heart is. And this passage has made it very clear that there is a direct connection between a life that is ruled by Christ and the impact that that has on your relationships with other people. And so one of the questions I think that we need to ask ourselves is, is there a pattern of peace or is there a trail of discord as we look at our relationships with other people? That'll tell you something about where your heart is. Is there a pattern of peace or is there a trail of discord? Because the fact is, when your world revolves around you, you become blind to your own issues and easily offended when other people don't meet your needs. Is that not true? You end up in this downward spiral of of self-pity, anger, and despair. You lash out when people don't do the things that you feel like you deserve. I cannot tell you how many times I've sat down and this is by far the number one issue that results in dysfunction within marriages. Sitting down in front of me saying, if they would just do what I do for them, if they would just meet my needs, if, if, if this was, it would all be better. This is the number one issue by far. But when Christ is the center of your life, you are not so dependent upon others to meet your deepest needs. Your world doesn't crumble when people fail you. For example, and this is the honest truth, I have never had anybody come to me with a marriage issue and tell me, listen, Todd, we are uh, spending time in God's Word. We're praying together. We're both walking with Christ and within the fellowship of God's people, but our marriage is falling apart. It's never happened. I'm not saying that it's impossible, but if it ever does, it will be by far the rare exception. And that's because when our deepest needs are met in Christ, we have the freedom to love, to be generous, to care for someone, even when they are not meeting our needs. Because those needs are being met in Christ. When you see a pattern of peace in your relationships, it tells you where your heart is in your relationship with God. One of the other questions I think we need to ask is, do you live in community or do you live in isolation? And the reason I bring that up is because of what it says in verse 15 when it says that we were called into one body. If you look at Corinthians, it says very clearly that God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as He desires. He goes on in that same chapter to say, each one is uniquely gifted for the benefit of the common good. We've looked at that Ephesians passage that says the whole body is, is fit together, held together by every joint as it supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, causing the growth, growth of the body to, to be built up in love. The point is is that God designed the body. He placed the members within the body to serve in a specific way, equipping them uniquely for the common good of the body. And when we choose to live outside of that, we are choosing to reject God's divine design. The fact is, 
The body needs you, and you need the body. And one of the reasons that that's true is because we know that that relationships are very often the tool that God will use to reveal sin strongholds in our life. (laughs) Just look at what marriage does and what children does. It, It reveals to you those places that you're not as patient as you thought you were. You're not as forgiving as you thought you were. And when you step outside of the community and forfeit those relationships that God has designed us for, then those things remain hidden. And over time, they become hardened inside your heart. So it's for our common good that we live in relationships with one another. So that we grow in love only as we live within the community of other believers whose life are centered on Christ. So is that where you live? In the life of community or outside in individualism? Finally, let me just ask you to ask yourself this question. Do you have a servant's heart or a selfish attitude? There's a biblical paradox here that doesn't make sense in the economy of the world's wisdom. Because the world says that that happiness is your highest priority. And it goes on to say that, listen, what you need to do is make sure that you take care of yourself first. And that's what allows you to care for other people. So go do that. And then that gives you the opportunity to have good, healthy relationships with others. But listen to what Jesus said. He says, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In other words, if you seek happiness more than you seek Christ, you will have neither. You'll have neither. But if you desire to serve Christ more than you seek happiness, you will have both. You will have both. Dying to the old self is what allows you to discover your true self. Chosen, holy, beloved. Only the one who loses his life for the sake of Christ is the one who truly finds it. And that freedom is found only when Christ's peace rule in your heart. When his word dwells in your heart. When his name is exalted in your life as you wear the attributes of Christ like a wardrobe. We all have a choice. Living in the fullness of Christ, I want you to know, is infinitely better than anything the world has to offer. The comparison is on purpose to highlight the infinitely better choice. And my prayer for all of us is that's the life we live surrendered to Christ. Let me pray for us and then I want to introduce you to someone. Father, thank you for our time this morning. And I do pray that these words reflect our heart and are demonstrated in the way we live our life. That we would be in fellowship with you so that your peace rules in our heart and overflows into our relationships with other people. And if we see things bubbling out of our life, that give evidence of the attributes of the flesh, things like anger and impatience, harsh words, impurity. I pray that we have the courage to to come to you and say, Lord, there's something not right with my heart. And I pray that we would live in community so that we can pray for one another, as the Scripture says, so that you might be healed. Living 
in a way that we can encourage each other towards love and good deeds, iron sharpening iron. And may our lives ultimately be lived in a way that your name is exalted so that what people see in us is evidence of the power of your truth that transforms us. Putting on the attributes of Christ, wearing the garment of righteousness given to us because of faith in what you've accomplished that we could have never done on our own. And may we be thankful. Thankful for your grace given to us as a gift. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.